You're listening to Manufactured with Kim von der Weert, and this is a podcast about sustainability and the making of fashion. Join me in conversation with the people who manufacture what we wear. This is the second installment of a four-part mini-series on worker well-being. In the first installment, I was joined by Jesse Lee, my co-founder, Dr. Divya Gioti, an ethnographer, and Dr. Achyuta Advaryu, an economist, to debate how should worker well-being be defined and measured? Who should get to decide? With this installment, we shift the conversation to the factory level. But we can't talk about worker well-being on the production floor without also talking about factory management. I'm a big believer in the idea that there are no villains out there. Few things in life, I think, are as simple as, oh, there was an evil person with bad intentions who woke up wanting to do things that were bad for other people. So what drives the behavior of factory management? What are their incentives? And how does this translate on the production floor? To tackle these questions, I'm re-releasing a segment of one of our very first episodes, episode six, when Jesse and I talked to Kim, yes, another Kim, And the conversation was recorded back in 2020. Kim is Cambodian, and she talked to us about her time working as a quality production lead for a a buying office there. She was also involved in social responsibility, which she'll tell you more about. When asked about the hardest part of her job, she talked about how uncomfortable she was with the way factory management treated the people working on the production floor. We get into why she thinks factory management behaved the way that they did, and what their incentives were. And also, what she could or couldn't do to change it within her capacity as part of a buying office. We had a really great conversation with Kim across episodes 5 and 6, so if you like this episode and want to hear more from her, be sure to go back and check those out. Again, that's episode 5 and 6. This podcast is a passion project and a labor of love. Support the show by following me on Instagram at manufactured underscore podcast or sign up for the newsletter at www.manufacturedpodcast.com for an overview of the latest episodes, articles I've recently published, and links to Off the Beaten Path reading. Last but not least, don't forget to leave a review on iTunes and hit subscribe. This helps other people find the show, and I'd really love your help with that. So this week, we want to talk about your time working for a buying office as a quality production leader. And for our listeners who might not know, a buying office is the representative office of a brand in the production country. So Kim was employed directly by the brand, but working together with some factories in producing for 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 that brand. And we talked a lot about this also in episode two, when Jessie shared her time working as a merchandiser, which is a different position within a buying office. So I'd like you to explain a little bit about what your role was as quality production leader. What were you responsible for? Mm, when I work at the quality team, there are three main mm-hmm. tasks that I need to focus. Mm-hmm. First is about the quality management that I need to ensure mm-hmm. the like, quality of back production is respected to the master sample. For example, like does the good was assembled the same as the master sample? Do we use the same accessory? And mm. do we follow the size measurement? I mean, all those are correct or not. And so you work with a couple of factories, 
right? So you're you're employed by the brand in their representative office in Cambodia, and you have a relationship with a couple of factories, which are under different ownership, not owned by the brand, which you're then working with to make sure that whatever they produce is the same as the sample that they're supposed to make. Yeah, they that, need to, right? yeah, they need to make sure that the bulk production follow the master sample and master sample was validated by, by like the brand. Approved by the brand yeah. before production. Yeah, before we start production. So you would paint me a picture. Like, how would you spend your days? Would you spend your days going out to the factories to spend time on their production floor to see uh, the how what these what the bulk production is looking like? Did you have a team that supported you to do it? How did it work? I mean, at the factory, they're gonna have a QA team, or mm-hmm. like in the line, they have a line leader to mm-hmm. like daily. They need to check all the, I mean, the finished code that come out from the line. But as a brand, we also need to go to the factory to do the inline inspection before the final inspection to make sure that we can prevent some critical Yeah, problems. some critical problem. So, I mean, like, if we do an inline, inline inspection, so it can be like, okay, we can correct the, the mistake or the error in the first place. Inline inspection means yeah. the goods are still in the production line, still under processing, still yes. doing. Yeah. Yes. So, like, you're basically, you could ex- maybe describe it as, like, the factory has its own quality control team. They're doing inspection, as Jesse said, in the line as things are being made. And then you would go to kind of check the people who are doing the checking. <laughs> yes. You check uh, what their quality team, you check the performance of their quality team. Yes, I also check the performance of the quality team. Because like at the end, like monthly, we're going to focus on their performance. Like how many PO that rejected or accepted. Rejected, yeah, or accepted. So we can see like whether it is worse or it improved. If it's Mm. worse, what are we going to do? If the quality is worse, so I need to make sure that, okay, I need to ask five by like as normal to know like what is the root cause, why we have many PO like were rejected. Where this mm. rating risks uh, uh, the supplier's orders for the coming season or for future. For instance, uh, for instance, at the end of this month, uh, you gave uh, feedback. You said uh, it's really worse than last month. The performance of their quality team has uh, um, has a worse performance compared with last month. And will this feedback eventually delivered to the buyers? And will will buyers consider maybe next season or next few months place less orders to this supplier? Yeah, this one will be like considered in the like. I mean, as a buying office, we're going to consolidate also the quality team together and see which factory do better than which one. So it means like, okay, the quantity that we place, it also best on this one. And more importantly, about the price, like about the cost of the good as well. So we have two performance here. One is about QA team at the factory and another one is the performance for our set, like as we manage that factory. Hmm. So the information about costs and quality kind of comes together at the buying office to decide how you, which factories you're going to reward with more orders and which ones maybe you might punish with fewer orders next season. (laughs) Yes. What was the hardest part of doing this job for you? 
at the time, I can imagine like the hardest part of my job is when the quality is not accepted. I mean, like mm-hmm. there are a lot of like minor defect because we all wave mm-hmm. even from the major defect. Yes. And when I reject that kind of like thing, I mean, at the same time, I also heard the verbal abuse from the Chinese management to the Cambodian QA team. So it kind of like, it's not really make me happy. Like, I mean, mm. the Chinese management team, they always put blame on their QA team. Like, why did you allow that to happen? Like, why you yeah. didn't see it yeah. earlier? Why, why you didn't, didn't prevent it? Yeah. Okay. Why didn't you detect it in the inline inspection or something like why that? Why you didn't anticipate that? Yes. Okay. And it also like a challenging to communicate with the Chinese management, like QA mm. management, because like for you, that, so that you're you're the quality manager that you are working with in the factory is Chinese. Yeah, it's and Chinese. You are Cambodian. So, yes. in which language did you talk to each other? Most of the time we use English, but guess <laughs> <laughs> their English is not very fluent. Yes. So, so but like the Q, the QA manager that I work with, she can speak like Chinese is her native. Uh, she's a, she's Chinese. Yeah. Okay. So she can speak uh, some of Cam, uh, uh, Cambodian word. Mm. She can speak and, Yeah. And Chinese. a little bit of English. So sometimes I need but most of difficult time, I also ask for a translator, the factory translator. They have one translator that can like translate what we need. Between Chinese and the Kamel? Yeah, between between me and the QA manager who is Chinese. So the, the QA, ma- the quality assurance manager who's communicating with a Cambodian production staff has one translator in the whole factory to be able to process this com- this like communication between worker and factory management. Uh, Is that what you mean? I, I mean, like, yes, they have one, one at the time, they have one or two like translator that for mm. all department, like even from HR team or I mean... HR uh, team is also Chinese. Yeah, HR team also Chinese. So I mean, like... When anyone <laughs> needs a translator, there is a standby translator to have. How can one translator work? At- one or two translators at okay. a time. So, well, I- But Kim, I want to... Okay, there's so much in what you just said. I want to ask you, Jesse, to just give a little bit of context for... Because people might be wondering, wait a minute, we're in, we're in Cambodia. I thought we were dealing... We were talking about Cambodian garment factories... And now we've introduced this whole new variable, which is that, yes, we're producing in Cambodia, but the factory is managed and owned. Uh, uh, the f- factory management and ownership is Chinese. In China, the competition is very high. The job or the salary are not guaranteed. And usually a small or a medium textile business uh, is starting from a village usually. So when the business owner comes to Cambodia, they want to save on the complication uh, cost, mm. but they still want to have a kind of trust for communication. Then they would eventually have their families or relatives or people from the mm. same village to come to, to take the management positions. So in mm. this way, the benefits on the other side is the job and uh, the career development is kind of guaranteed. So they mm. avoid the high competition in China and also 
have a guaranteed job and a guaranteed salary, which doesn't mean higher than China. Actually, I now I remembered what Chadu said in our previous mm. uh, interview that uh, in his experiences, the salary is always higher for a Sri Lankan to work uh, out of Sri Lanka. But in China, mm. for but for Chinese, especially for garment industry. Uh, to work in an uh, overseas garment factory is not necessarily has uh, has a higher salary than the same job mm. in China. Not really. So the benefits are actually, first, they avoid competition. They have kind of guaranteed the job. Second, they might uh, have some shares of the business after a while because they are either the families, either the relatives or people from the same villages. So the connection between the business owner and the Chinese management are more like a naturally bonded connection, yeah. like a blood bonded, not really like uh, employees and employment. And so you can see in this case, the Chinese management, they, there's no system to, um, to force them or there's no system to support them if they want to be responsible to the Khmer workers. In fact, they just needed to be responsible to the Chinese business owners, business owner. Yeah. Because that's the guarantee of their jobs and their income. And if they have families in, in Cambodia, no matter Cambodian families or they move their Chinese families to Cambodia, no matter which way, if their families also come to Cambodia, it means they have no way back because there's nothing waiting for them in China. Mm -hmm. So in this way, um, I would say, now I remember that I read a few reports about young Chinese works in working in this kind of business. And they, they also felt quite uncomfortable about the management style. But mm. there is no real system to support them. Just to think about it. As you said just now, the HR team is also Chinese. So think about it. the HR manager is the business owner's, uh, I don't know, sister-in-law. If And if the accountant, the finance part, is the, uh, bro is the brother-in-law's wife of the, of the business owner, and if the product production manager, also the relatives of the uh, business owner, then as a young Chinese or as another Chinese just come into this factory to be the management, there is no system to support this Chinese to be responsible to the workers. But everything, mm. all the setting, just to force this person to be only responsible to that Chinese business owner. Otherwise, there's no point or position for this person to work in this factory. Yeah. Yeah, it's a lot of, they're under a lot of pressure to succeed because like you said, if they fit the, the, the cost of, or the risk, the cost of failure is very, very high. Is that yeah, the, right? Yes. The cost is very high is, uh, uh, from Kim's description, we can see, uh, they cannot really speak Khmer and they probably cannot speak fluent English either. If they go back to China, they will face the high, uh, competition again and, uh, they probably will not find a similar job in with the similar conditions. So, and, and if their families are also in Cambodia, there is no point for them to go back to China alone. So in this case, they, they are under a huge pressure or mm. another case is uh, it's, it's, it's also possible that the Chinese business owner just to bring the whole families to be the, uh, the factory management. So then with mm. this blood bond, there is uh, even, less reasons for them to feel responsible to the workers.
Mm. The settings doesn't help people to to work in a more responsible way. Let's say. So, if I were to ask you, like, what's the if? Because I, if I were to ask you, if you wanted to improve the relationship between workers and factory management in this kind of context, what would make sense as a strategy? Then would it be sort of developing relationship actually directly with the business owner, or what should a brand? What could a brand do? In this kind of situation, I think the brand could、uh, put more chips on the tables using a even longer terms of uh, uh, partnership as a、mm. condition to softly push the business owners to open the positions of the management to have a、mm. blended management. And step one、mm. could be. Don't just hire Chinese from、uh, from China, from mainland, but also hire、uh, Cambodian Chinese. You have lots、mm. of Khmer Chinese in、mm. Phnom Penh. They、yeah. can speak fluently Khmer. They naturally feel closer to Khmer to Cambodian,、mm. and they can speak Chinese too. So the brand could、uh, just put it under condition: if you want to win this five years contract, step、mm. one has、uh, blended management and、uh, mm. Khmer Chinese.、Uh, Uh, numbers of Khmer Chinese has to be, or the percentage has to be, I don't know, thirty percent, fifty percent even, or or、mm. more. So this can be step one, and maybe three years after, ask the Chinese、uh, owner to even have a one hundred percently local management if that is possible, and so on and、mm. so on. So directly push on the HR policies, I would say. Interesting, and Kim, I want to ask you on your side. Because you had these experiences, which made you uncomfortable, and you went back to your brand and you shared them, right? Yes. To your employer, and and then what would happen? When I share about the communication, hmm. I mean,、mm. on my team, I have one guy who can speak a little, a little, a little bit of Chinese. So、mm-hmm. somehow it might help the team to communicate it with like the QA manager. But sometimes、mm. when When the time that he cannot have, that we really have more idea to put it on, so we ask for a translator. So、yeah. you mean you find a, a subtle way to express that、uh, it's not proper or it's really uncomfortable. The communication between their management and and their workers is really not comfortable, and you pass this information to their QA management. Actually, at the time, I also handle for the like what we call CSR, corporate social responsibility. So、mm. we have like we conduct a an internal audit to check on this, and all like a thing we also mention in the report. So I mean, like it was mentioned clearly to the factory manager or the top management in the factory to understand what is the problem and. Sometimes, so the, the feedback was given. The、yeah. feedback was given from the brand to the factory management. The brand knew that this was happening. Yeah, gave the feedback during the audit that they were not happy about it. And then what happens?、Mm, actually, like they they won't say any bad word in front of us. I mean, like, but when we go out, yeah, we can hear the voice, the voice from the QA management team that. Oh, yeah. So I mean, like. 
Yeah, it can happen when we are in front of them, but when you mean okay, so they can improve, but they just want to improve that much. Yes, they want to improve the appearance, but not maybe the substance. Yes, Is that what you mean? I mean they <sighs> yeah they try to improve like by not saying those words in front of us, but yeah. like they still have. For, but for, they are not here. Yeah, for me, it shows they are able to improve, but they don't. They just <laughs> want to improve that much. They don't want to improve one hundred percent. They just yeah. want to improve ten percent. When you are there, yeah. Yeah. What if the CSR report can get involved into the purchasing? What if the conclusion of the CSR report is a very important factor of the purchasing policy? What if it can affect the contract? What if, as a brand? Even a brand is so much willing to have five years or even 10 years or eight years contract with a supplier, but just to make it very clear at the beginning, we are going to have internal audit and your CSR result is, uh, is, uh, I don't know, top three factors we will consider to sign the contract or continue the contract or not. You see, I think those factories, I'm very happy to hear they are able to improve. It's better than, <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. yeah I, know, I know it sounds very dark as the criticism of this thing. It's okay. I take it. I'm very happy to hear they are able to improve and, uh, and not very surprised to find out they just want to improve that much. But then it just reminded me, maybe because the CSR report didn't get into, didn't get involved into the purchasing practice. They are not afraid of CSR report because even it has no teeth. Yeah, it has no teeth. They are, they are going to have this five years contract anyway. I mean, like on the on the other on the other hand, it's just like yeah. Sometimes, as the brand, we ask many things from the factory to follow, and at this, I mean, at the same time, I also like hear the complaining of the like from the factory about the price. Like you asked me, so many things, so to many things to follow, but like the price is like like lower from years to year. So I mean, like I mean. The important part is just like CSR is one, but the more importantly is the price. Like okay. big, big factory is ha, has a lower price, so this one is very important. Is it very important to whom? To which the fa- brand? To the brand. Which yeah. factory has a lower price? This is yeah. important. And to then, the brand. yeah, and then they're gonna like evaluate the other factor. Like okay, so CSR fact CSR is important, but less important than which factor has a lower price. Yeah, I mean. On the brand side, uh, yeah. The brand side, yeah, and that that yeah. is the space for those factories can can still you know. can kind of like bend the rules or ignore their CSR report. Yes, yeah, because right? this is the space. Yes, they are still there. Yeah, yeah, because to be honest, like the brand somehow like require many things from the factory like to follow to make sure that they respect the local regulation and some other things related to like risk management and. Safety and hell, mm. yeah. So, just okay. So right. the picture is very dark now. I think this factory well, falls very far from being sustainable. But it's complicated, right? And I think it just goes to show. And maybe this is the point that we want to take away here: is it just goes to show how complicated these questions are, and how sustainability is not black and white. And you can be sustainable in one way. Even now, we're just talking about social sustainable here. We're talking really just about social responsibility. We're not even touching the whole environmental aspect. But even just within this one aspect and this one example that Kim has described, 
like you see some things that are really positive and then some things which are less positive and that those things actually coexist and that makes it really like a gray zone right yes. and and that th these kind of details and these kind of nuances are so important to put on the table and we can't we have to really be looking when we're talking about social responsibility we have to look at this whole picture at the relationship between between brand and factory both in terms of contract but also in terms of as kim pointed out price pressure cost reduction and then sort of those two things can be sort of pulling in opposite directions on the one hand you've got this contract which you know enables quite a lot of trust on the other hand you have this continuous pressure for cost reduction which negatively impacts then the next level down between factory management and workers right and you can't really talk about social responsibility without looking at that whole picture and looking at all those levels and those loops. Thank you for listening to Manufactured. Support the show by following me on Instagram at manufactured underscore podcast or sign up for the newsletter at www.manufacturedpodcast.com for an overview of the latest episodes, articles I've recently published, and links to off-the-beaten-path reading. Last but not least, don't forget to leave a review on iTunes and hit subscribe. This helps other people find the show, and I'd really love your help with that. 